0: But if I can like talk a little bit about this more is in V2 there's this idea that if if we compare like let's say Uber and Lyft we think about it in the sense that okay there's going to be one winner right and it, it's sort of like a zero sum game where you feel like either Uber is going to win or either Lyft is going to win but but not both of them because there's a set of people and you know. Whereas in crypto, you can actually build positive sum games as a group, and we saw that with Wall Street bets with, with the stock. You can actually, as a community as a whole, you can win by working together instead of competing. So a lot of these projects that you, we see as competitors, we might end up actually working with them at some point, if that you know works out, because we'll see a lot more collaboration between these companies that may seem like competitors, but when like there's a finite market size, it makes sense more to work together than against.
1: So General, thank you for joining us. When we were thinking of like how to start this, I feel like we could have started it with building in India, but really I want to get to CoinVise and what exactly it is you guys are doing there. What are you building?
0: Yeah. So the idea with CoinVise we started out was we wanted to bring the experience of either Gitcoin or at least bringing the idea or power, giving power to communities and giving that experience to social. So we started out like with the idea that we want to build something like a decentralized for communities on uh, Web3. So how do we do that and how do, we, how do we make that valuable? So a lot of these communities, creating a token is one of the first steps of them becoming a DAO. And I think that's what some, a lot of people attribute value to. How do we have like these communities aligned with whoever the community is created? Usually it's a creator, right? And that's the idea we started out with, giving like ability for people to like either quit their nine-to-five jobs and start earning in social tokens, just sitting at home and being part of these multiple creator DAOs. I think that's the long-term vision that we're going forward. So it's probably a mix between uh, a decentralized Reddit and how you would see how Bitcoin works for developers, right? Could
2: you, could you define explain... what a DAO is?
0: Yeah, so a DAO is essentially a smart contract where a group of people can interact on chain uh, transparently. It's essentially a smart contract that defines certain like rights, powers and definitions that you can say okay, this kind of decision making is going to happen on chain. A lot of what like real world activities like money, making decisions like voting, any kind of activity that you can attribute value to, we're now doing it on chain so that a third party can verify without like having to know these people who are running this DAO and we can have sort of this transparent decision-making within the company. So that's what a DAO is. It's a company on chain, like to put very simply.
2: Right, that, that's super cool. I think a lot of mainstream press has been about uh, just what Bitcoin is. Right. And that makes sense, right? Like that's the first level of understanding people need to have about decentralized cryptocurrency before they can start to stack these higher le- these higher layers on. But as far as smart contracts go, I think a lot of that is misunderstood. So maybe you could kind of illustrate like what exactly can we do beyond just exchanging transaction and-, and keeping a decentralized ledger?
0: Right. So essentially what smart contracts do is they maintain state on a chain, right? So you can go back and you can say, okay, this is the state that's stored on this chain and you can verify that state. Just put simply, it's just a piece of code that maintains state on uh, a chain that a third party can verify. And what's a chain? It's really like if you look at data structures, a blockchain is really like a tree where there's branches, there's forks, and there's even orphan branches. So when you're maintaining that state, it's, it's really like it's about money, but it's, it's more than just like money. It's more like data. Any kind of information that you can find on the Internet can be stored on chain. And that state can be preserved on the chain, at least until like it's history and you can trace it back all the way back in time or even create a fork from it. So I think, I mean, we see Bitcoin in a lot of these currencies and there's too much focus on it, but it's, it's going to be more like anything that's happening on the internet is essentially like, at least valuable is going to be on chain.
2: So what can I do with ether that I can't do with Bitcoin?
0: So the way we, we like to put it ether is probably like Bitcoin is probably like a store of value and ether is more like an internet native currency. You're probably not going to buy coffee with Bitcoin, but you can buy a coffee with ether. So hmm. it's going to be like an internet native currency where you can like essentially do any kind of activity online on the internet, either buying or purchasing or even any kind of like uh, small transactions or even bigger transactions. It's going to be the like, native currency on, on, on the internet.
2: Yeah. So one thing which I which I personally find very interesting is the debate. This this is, is going to kind of, kind of into the weeds, but I'll, I'll try to make it understandable to all of our listeners. So there's this big debate about block size. So if you have big blocks, um, then essentially Bitcoin transactions are limited by how many transactions you can do per second. So right. if you have a small block size, a block is how many transactions you can fit. And right. it takes, I believe, five minutes on average to complete a single block. So... Right. If it takes like 20 minutes on average to buy a cup of coffee, that's just such a terrible user experience. People are just going to use their credit card, use traditional financial means. Mm -hmm. So then there was this big debate of why don't we just make the block sizes huge so people can actually buy stuff with Bitcoin in a real world setting in a practical way. But this leads to another issue, which is now Bitcoin is not decentralized. If you have these gigantic blocks, that means that the amount of memory And the amount of CPU processing it takes to be able to run something like Bitcoin is it becomes it becomes terabytes. And then the only people who are running it are companies like Google, Amazon, like these big enterprises. So that's no longer decentralized. Now you're going through a gatekeeper. So where do you where do you weigh in? Where do you weigh in on this? Because personally, I feel like because of the block size issue, at least for big mainstream currencies like Bitcoin, they can only be stores of value. They can't be transaction needs. I think
0: they can be. So here's here's my thesis on it. I do see that a lot of people, there's a lot of debate on the block size. I think it's more of a debate of like how many validators are verifying those transactions, uh, regardless of the size of the block size. And I think it also depends on the supply of Bitcoin and the supply of Ether. I think up till now, the supply of Ether is going to be infinite, but with ERC, one they're going to make the supply finite. But coming back to Bitcoin, if you compare it to the traditional financial system, in the US, there's this thing called Fedwire, right? If you want to send a check, Like let's say you want to write a million dollar check to someone, I think a more reliable and deterministic way or an accurate way to send someone could be, you could use the Fed buyer, right? But if you want to send like $10 or $5 for a coffee, you'd probably use Venmo, right? You just send it to your friend. So there's always like these different layers that we've built. The application layer is probably Venmo or a lot of these other PayPal or other apps that you use day to day. But then like, if you trickle down to these layers on the bottom, there's a, there's the Fed buyer that you would use for more valuable, more like high value transactions, basically. Let's bring it back to crypto now. Crypto is also like acting in a very similar ways. Obviously, like things are going to change with uh, Bitcoin and its its, uh, taproot, uh, which is also like an interesting thing to uh, delve deeper on, on how that's going to open up like an avenue for developers to build on top of it. But once that happens, we're going to have different like governance mechanisms and incentives for building like either different chains or even scaling Bitcoin, where you can either purchase your car with Bitcoin or, or at least high value transactions. Right. If you're going to buy a house or if you're going to buy, like, pay for insurance or any kind of high, other high value transaction, you could probably do it with Bitcoin.
2: Right. That, that, that actually makes sense. So essentially what you're saying is like these proposals for like the lightning level two, level three network right. aren't dependent on the block size. Right. Those could be used for smaller purchases that require less trust, whereas mm-hmm. the big ones that require more trust would go through the central blockchain directly
0: right and i think that's okay for now i think i don't think it needs to be like so regarding like mining pools right that's that's more on like an algorithmic or like a conceptual level on how bitcoin is designed if if the collective like nodes or like if there's a collective consensus on creating like a fork and if you could do a fork and create a new consensus which we've seen like so many more times like there's so many scam like forks and that claim to be like the real bitcoin
2: yeah the real uh, satoshi <laughs>
0: the real satoshi but like If once we see a lot of that, and if there's consensus, I think it's it's possible. Like at the end of the day, it's like reaching like a level of like algorithmic consensus where everybody agrees. Okay, like this is something that, like a disproportionate amount of reward is going to like mining farms in China, and that's becoming like too centralized. I think to some degree that's okay because that's how like traditional like human networks work. But to decentralize it further, we're gonna maybe look into more like. Yeah, either forks or like different chains or different forms of consensus where we can reach an agreement of like creating a more decentralized structure on, on rewards
2: and all that stuff. Right. So going back to Coinbase, you mentioned the word decentralized a few times when you were talking about what you guys were up to. Can you tell me why that's important to you? So a lot of like
0: protocols, including CoinWise, the way we say it is, is, it's more like progressive decentralization. If you look at our tech stack or if you look at like, just the way we operate in terms of like the tools that we use, it's semi-decentralized, not like fully decentralized. And, and, and the way we say that is like, initially it's going to be more like Web2 is going to work with Web3. It doesn't have to be fully decentralized because when you're actually building it, it comes at a cost of user experience, right? And you still want to give like that Web2 experience in Web3. Like people are not sympathetic to like 15, even 15 second confirmation times when a transaction right. is going through. They right, expect right. it to be like Venmo where it just goes through like magic. So to to preserve that experience and like even at least have some interest on like bridging people from web two to web three, I think they need to work together. So this idea of like progressive decentralization is something that will eventually be decentralized as we go further, as in when like the tech stack gets more decentralized in terms of like where we're storing our data, how how we're like maintaining our tools that we built, where we're like Publishing it, are we publishing it on something like Mirror? So, like in all all those aspects, once we do create a token, I think it's we're gonna be like more decentralized.
2: I really, actually, really like that approach because I've seen a lot of crypto projects where their pretty much entire selling point is, "Hey, we're very decentralized. We're more decentralized than everyone else," and no. they don't really think about like none user experience are. or feature set. And and none of them are. Yeah, that, that's not a thing. But the thing is, like, more decentralized isn't necessarily a feature there's this great vc and he was he was also a blockchain developer before he got into the vc space his name is Haseeb Qureshi. he writes a great great he, he wrote like a, a lecture series about how bitcoin works and he also writes about crypto and DeFi and all this other stuff and yeah what he said is you should actually be as like no one talks about how decentralized is a trade-off you know like a distributed ledger That's very, very expensive and very, very complicated compared to a centralized ledger. So Mm -hmm. you should have a good reason for doing it. And the more decentralized things you throw out, the more expensive your tech stack becomes, the slower things become, the worse user experience becomes. So you need to just balance, like, what is the minimum amount of decentralization I need to achieve the goals of this project?
0: Yeah, I mean, even like taking a step back further, I... We never, so we have a board where we say online, where we say like, never use the words. So even if you go on Twitter, like we never use the words decentralization too much, blockchain, web3, crypto, because our rule is that never sell technology. So like, if you go back to Apple, right, they never sold the phone. They just sold, they just like showed beautiful people, like just running across like the, the tracks and like Albert Einstein and a lot of these figures, they just showed like what they're about. They, you never sell the, the technology. So we'll probably never do that. Or we'll, like, even if we do go progressively decentralized, we'll never sell like missions that don't mean anything. Like just tell people like why
2: that's important, you know? Right. So, yeah. So what is the level of crypto awareness in India right now? I think it's, it's getting there just because Bitcoin is talked about
0: a lot in the news. And I think Polygon Matic Network opened up the doors for India, at least in my okay. experience, they've been like going at it for years. And today, it's like I think it's worth eleven billion dollars. And I think that company, if if they hadn't like opened up and gotten where they are, the VCs wouldn't be investing as, uh, like, as aggressively as they are today. Like I what know there's. Was,
2: what did you say the company was called? What do they do?
0: Uh, Polygon Magic Network.
2: Okay. What, so
0: I haven't heard of them. What do they do? So Polygon is a side chain on Ethereum. And it's a layer two solution that a lot of people use. I think it's one of the most like popular ones, or it's the closest alternative that most people choose. And we're we're also operating on Polygon, CoinWise, Ethereum and Polygon both. So again, they're from India and I think they opened up the doors. And then there's also like, if you go down South, then there's DeFi dollar and a bunch of other companies that are operating. But like really Polygon is the one that uh, like broke the market cap of over $10 billion. And I think that was like the Um, starting point.
1: I was just going to add, I was, in a, I was in a clubhouse room with the Polygon founder and he was explaining the extents, extent that him and like other entrepreneurs in the crypto space five, six years ago had to go to, to even get yeah. any sort of relevance and funding. And what's really interesting about India is you don't often see a $10 billion valuation for startups. In America, it seems like every other week we're hearing about like a, like a new unicorn or whatever, but in India... Just by virtue of like the, the market dynamics and like the GDP and how much money people are going to spend, consumer spending and things like that. Getting that valuation is incredibly difficult. And for such a nascent technology like crypto to get to a $10 billion valuation is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, those people are amazing. I think they really brought a lot of eyes. And even like even today, like I, I wake up every morning and there's a new Asia chapter of like a VC fund opening, even like, I mean, not, not to hyper optimize for investments, but just like, in terms of like activity, there's even like, if you look at Marash, all the COVID-19 records were stored on Polygon. It wasn't, I can share the tweet with you later, but That's so there is some level of awareness, at least to people. I think it's going to get like more stronger, but yeah, eventually like if, if there's no awareness, I think that people are missing out. Like I think Ethereum or how, what's the market cap of Ethereum? I forgot. I think Bitcoin crossed a trillion. So obviously, like it's missing out a lot on like the overall like DeFi right. economy if, if India is not participating, right?
1: I, I think the sort of the immigration of American VCs into India and then them actually visualizing it as like a great profit center for them is really interesting. So how much do you think them investing and being open to investing has sort of incentivized entrepreneurs in India to you know begin working? Or is that completely unrelated to what, what is sort of your guys' incentives?
0: I think, I mean, the, the interest has still been there. I think the investments hasn't been as much of a blogger as much as like, like there's, there's just no, like who's gonna use it, right? That just wasn't like that stack available. Like just recently we started getting like Paytm and, and a bunch of these other payment apps. Like what US has been doing for years with PayPal, like we just gotten used to it in the last three years. Like before that, there were no QR codes you had to pay in cash. I think over 60% of the economy is in cash. So I think it's still like a long way ahead. Like most people you would talk to would probably not know on how this works on like a deep level or at least on a fundamental level. And as long as like, there's lack of awareness, there's going to be scams. And if there's scams, there's going to be a lack of trust. And, uh, one thing that we're known for is like, there's clusters of trust, which is why there's like companies like Tata and that have been like there for years. Right. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's trust. It's not not about the product. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I guess my follow up is how much time do you and like the other entrepreneurs, you know, in the crypto space, think about the government sentiment towards crypto? Because I'm always hearing news about the Indian government feels such way about it, this way about it. It it seems to flip all the time. So how much time do you guys spend sort of navigating that?
0: I think it's, it's really just exit. Right. Once you like decide to do a company, and then you see you're really just like okay, if, if it's easier for me to like incorporate a Delaware C Corp, why don't I just do that? Like you can still do that if you're sitting from India, if you're just unclear about India. So it's it's really not a problem for founders if they really like want to put in the work. It's it's more of a pro- problem for the India to like losing out on that GDP. Uh, right. Yeah. So
2: this is also the beauty of cryptocurrency. Actually, bef- so before a cryptocurrency came about. Uh, I think there was something called e and I think that was in like the nineties and the secret service came and they arrested the guy who made it. He went to prison for like five years because like, according to the U S constitution, only the U S government has the right to mint a currency. It's like very illegal. So everyone who put their money into e it went under. So there were a few other crypto attempts after that, not crypto attempts, a few other e-currency attempts after that, but nobody put any money. Nobody trusted them because they saw what happened with the first, crypto the first uh, digital currency so by doing the decentralized blockchain satoshi completely solved that problem it was there was no one person you could take down so now now like especially with bitcoin and ether being at the levels of scale that they are no government could take down a single cryptocurrency so yeah
0: i mean they're still doing kyc and they're still like you know they're still like keeping it under check like it's, it's right like, right right you know like if you're doing transactions we just we still want to know who you are and what you're doing at all times right So they can take you down, but they can like take you down, like at least like prosecute you for doing like something that they don't want you to do. Like even today, if you see like in India, there's over a billion dollars locked in DeFi protocols and uh, almost all of it, like at least a lot of these companies are like outside, like domiciled outside of India. Think about how much money they're losing out on. And I'll give you an example over like, I think there was a country and over like 40% of their total economy was entirely from crypto. Wow, so it's just crazy. So if there's no regulation, then it's just you're losing out on like money. Yeah,
2: right. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been reading what
1: Balaji has been re- writing about like Indian crypto, and it's yeah. it's super fascinating. He's basically lobbying the Indian government to completely take advantage of crypto and become crypto first in terms of their tech stack, um, and become like the you know the new power of the world. I don't know if you've been following that at all, but.
0: I have, yeah, I've been following it like extremely closely just because it's, it's like I've invested my interest in it. But yeah, like long term, I'm optimistic about it. But right now, like the power is in the hands of people that uh, just graduated high school and couldn't complete college. So it's hard for them to like understand crypto. It, it's going to be more like, let me copy and paste it from European or US regulations and or, or like an extension to like what FEMA rules be yeah, for an foreign exchange. And it's gonna look a lot similar to that if regulations came into picture.
1: I wanted to go back to Coinbuys. I wanted to ask you, how do you guys make money?
0: So we make money through like incentives. We don't charge for tools that we build. So like token minting, again, like the core idea was that we don't want to take any cuts, right? So how do we make money? So we have uh, transaction fees on airdrops. We have transaction fees on reward creation and NFT creation. And separately, if we're working personally with the community, helping with token design, token economics, helping them create a DAO, maintain treasury, uh, a lot of those processes, then we keep a percentage of their total supply of these tokens. But again, that is only like when it makes sense for us to like participate in these communities and we're putting like additional like effort into it. But otherwise, token creation is like completely uh, free. We, we earn money through like airdrops and other incentives that we've built. So how long have you guys been in NFTs? NFTs was pretty recent. I think we announced it on March 11th on Ethereum and Polygon. It was an NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell it. And I think the core idea with NFTs that ties along with social tokens was ownership. That you can have these sort of like fractional or non-fractional ownership of these NFTs. And that represent like some kind of like, let's say if I'm making a revenue of X amount of dollars or tokens, that can be split into the owners of the NFT and like there can be so many other mechanisms that could be built around ownership so i think that idea was like worth exploring into and we're gonna see it being more mainstream even then like more so than buying and selling
2: Uh, so the contract the contract will say i own you know this amount of equity in this project or this company or whatever and you can you can sell that token to other people if they want to that nft to other people and the contract will automatically distribute the money to the bank account of the holder of the car, of the token? Yeah,
0: yeah, holders of the token. So let's say you're 5% owner of the NFT, somebody else is 60%, somebody else is 20%. It automatically gets distributed. And even then, then, there's royalties. So I'll give you an example. There was this artist that did a music album, and that music album was an NFT. All the people that were interested or like at least saw that album being a success, they bought shares of that album as NFTs. So after it got successful, all these people that invested in it get uh, revenue shares of whatever that album makes. Let's say that album makes $1 million. $1 million gets distributed into all of its owners in perpetuity. So it's in royalties. So as many wow. as times it gets listened in the future. So let's say today, if you're watching Friends or The Office on Netflix, there's most watched shows, right. if you would have invested in it and had, if that was an NFT, you right, fractional right. shares, you'd be earning in royalties like in perpetuity
2: right this, this is this, this is what i this is what i found to be the most compelling part of nfts when they first like went mainstream in january which is i mean yes we, we have to address the elephant in the room that a lot of it is just like i buy it so i can sell it so i can just like hold it until i can find someone else to buy it from more than me so there's a lot of nfts right. which are being sold without any inherent value yeah and but it's they-
0: like you know if you're contributing some kind of thing if you're watching a show or if you're listening to our music you're doing something for the artist and he's making a lot of money and and right you're not aligned with the success but like if you're owning like the NFT shares you can be aligned with him if
2: they get successful you do too in perpetuity absolutely so, what, what i what i find the most compelling about this though is that we can shift towards a model instead of having to make money off of people through advertising which yeah. sucks and is essentially trying exactly. to fool you into buying something which you don't even want yeah. we can shift to a model where if you make something that people like and more people like will like it in the future, and it becomes more and more successful. That is enough to make money. So your fans can buy into your level of success, and as the thing becomes more successful, they can chel- sell theirs, and then you get paid off of the transactions. Yeah, I think it just makes like the creation that uh, being a creator, being an artist, very very interesting. It opens a lot of revenue doors.
0: It's it's also more along the lines of it's 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 not limited to like specific type of artist. It's more like it's freedom, right? You can, Mm. you can be a part of these multiple groups of people. Instead of committing to one job, you can just be a part of these multiple groups and start investing or like taking, like contributing some kind of value towards it. And then you can essentially quit your like full-time job. And that's, that's going to be like the ultimate goal where you should be able to do that and work with freedom. Like you work on your own schedule and on like terms, and we're going to enter this like new age of like gig economy where it's just, uh, it's completely freedom.
1: Right. It's it's much easier to monetize your whatever it is you're doing.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Faraz and I have recently spoken more about this idea of like super fans, and it sounds like if. If I were to buy into some artists and I was just a regular fan of uh, theirs, and I but I ended up buying their, a piece of their NFT, that almost triggered me into becoming a super fan because now I'm invested in the long term because I'm receiving royalties or dividends. It's like, it's like a reminder every time I receive a dividend that, wow, I'm actually a super fan of this person, even if I yeah. wasn't before just because of their music. I wanted to go back to this word you kept using, which is community. You almost refer to your potential uh, customers or existing customers as a community and i was actually on your discord and i noticed it's it's super vibrant you know it's it's very engaging what role does having this discord or referring to them as a community like what is the significance in that
0: so i mean if, if you once you like created like even a group of people or even like a company completely on the internet it's it's defined more like either It's if it's on web two, it's a startup or a company, or if it's like, you know, just one purpose tying all of you guys together, it's more like a community, but like those definitions are going to blur away. I think we're going to see a lot more like either DAOs or either collectives. And I think like an initial example that I personally saw was like GZM. When they started out, I think they started out with like 10, 30 people at once. And it blew up to like 3000 people Discord, and even more today. It was just this idea of like meeting cool people in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. or not even in the, in the Bay Area, like then it grew out like the entire world. And the only thing united them was that being able to network because everybody was quarantined. Right? That's why we call them community. Got it. Like collectively, there's no market cap for them. There's, there's like exchange of value, but there's nothing like you can point to that says like, okay, this is what it's worth. Right. What a token does for these communities is just adds a value to them that you wouldn't see in conventional startups or companies. So that's why we refer to them as collectives, communities, or DAOs.
1: Right. Do you do you consider your Discord community as sort of inbuilt distribution for future products that you're going to release, or even existing products?
0: I think we we see it more as a terms of like either being DAOs for other smaller DAOs. Like we want to be that sort of structure where we can transparently do any kind of thing that we want to do, like posting a reward, talking to people, hosting AMAs and doing sessions, even like sharing updates, like any single activity that we want to do, we can do it like in an open manner. And I think Discord enables to do that. I think eventually there's going to be, CoinWise is going to be a place where people are going to just explore. But until then, like we're going to see a lot of these like communities stay on Telegram or Discord.
2: What do you think was your tips and tricks for building a solid community?
0: I think, I mean, initially, Peter Pan, I think, has really great ideas on that. And one of the things that I learned is, like, there's, there's core values that unite people. Like, why do, why do you care, right? If you're a part of this, partially self-interest, but it's also like something bigger than yourself. Like you see something bigger than yourself and there's a bit of self-interest too. And once, once those things combine and everybody can come together, like there was this example, like even FWB or even memes, there was this group of people that were just sharing memes and that like created like 10,000 people in the Discord, which is just insane. So if you can collectively find like one thing that everybody shares, okay, this is cool if you can find let's say 100 people that says nfts are cool and we want to collect them you have a community so you need to find that one or two things that collectively you guys can point to that says okay this is what our purpose is and this is why like i should care as a
2: person right and that makes a lot of sense right if you guys are early in the curve in india for we're some of the first people who are looking at nfts and seeing this crazy potential that they have for fan base and community and all these other things i'd imagine that they're People like that would want to link up and want to talk to each other about exactly. what they see as the future.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and the more like, I think with with COVID and people are trying to stay more on the internet. So it's like, it's gotten a little easier there.
2: Right.
1: So actually I'm, I'm building something right now and I'm having trouble, like, you know, how do I get the best hundred people onto the platform and, you know, have them get, get, have them give me their feedback, et cetera. So on day one, when you're building Coinvice, how did you outreach and get or convince a hundred people to join that discord or was it really easy and just organic for you?
0: I think it was more organic, but, but I think the initial thing was that we talked about the idea a lot of what we're building and why it's important to people and why it's important to me and our team and why that's going to bring value to them and why it's going to be useful to people. Like we conveyed that a lot on Twitter and we had a few people, like a few people that were like sharing it and like really believe in our and that really helped us, that really helped us like get that outreach and have people join our discord. And then there was like the friction of joining a discord is a little more, but like, it's, it's not that much. Like you're not asking them to sign up like for early access on a website, like joining a discord is much easier than like get doing like an early access link. So that's what we were doing. And I think that worked out for us where we could communicate the idea. Then we worked with a few friends and like the community organically developed from there. Like getting the first people, 100 people is the hardest part. After that, like it just like if it's strong enough, it's going to grow and the network effects start to kick in.
2: I've actually heard this before that this is how you this is like the funnel for getting people to use your product is first you go on a platform where everybody is like Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Then they go to your platform, which is your podcast, your discord, your subreddit, whatever. And then they use your product.
0: Right. So we didn't want to like do kind of FOMO kind of thing where we have like, get early access or like stuff like that, where you would just put your email and then you would just wait until like they message you. We were just like, Hey, join your discord. And, 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 you know, we'll we'll like chat about like, what's what's next. And that's it. Right. Like extremely low friction. So
2: right. Keep them engaged, even if you don't have the product ready yet, but they still are dreaming with you. Yeah, exactly. So
1: would you say that the biggest challenge I had for Coinbuys is getting creators on the platform or getting a supply of people willing to buy what the creators are putting out?
0: I think there's there's already a lot of creators. I think there's going to be more. Eventually, everyone is going to be a creator. I think our definitions of creators are too narrow. I think to some degree, everybody is a creator, but I think it's, it's not a lack of resources or a lack of creators. It's more like lack of like, how do we make them make the argument that this could be like something exponentially more useful than what they're currently doing and if you can Mm -hmm. communicate that message and then eliminate the learning curve like okay this is how you use metamask this is how you would interact with tokens if you can get those two things and like really convince them that this could be like more useful or at least like you know give them like an avenue for them to do this really simply which coinwise does i think that's gonna change the gears for them and make the switch
1: I'm not really familiar with the space in India, but do you guys have any direct competitors you're competing with?
0: So uh, not a lot, particularly in India, but, but when you're in crypto, like the competition is more global because you're competing on like chains so like who's on ethereum who's on polygon right it's it's Mm -hmm. more like it's less location specific it's more like worldwide in the sense that crypto like eliminates borders completely right which is kind of the whole point so i think like roll and rally are probably the two closest that come to like what we're doing in terms of competitors interesting but like if if i if i can like talk a little bit about about this more is in Web 2 there's this idea that if, if we compare like, let's say Uber and Lyft, we think about it in a sense that, okay, there's going to be one winner, right? And it, it's sort of like a zero-sum game where you feel like either Uber is going to win or either Lyft is going to win, but, but not both of them because there's a set of people and, you know, Whereas in crypto, you can actually build positive-sum games as a group, and we saw that with Wall Street bets with with the stock, you can actually, as a community, as a whole, you can win by working together instead of competing. So a lot of these projects that you, we see as competitors, we might end up actually working with them at some point if that you know works out, because we'll see a lot more collaboration between these companies that may seem like competitors, but when like there's a finite market size, it makes sense more to work together than against. So.
1: Mm. that's a that's a really interesting framework you're almost saying like the other group the 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 people on the other side of the sort of the water do not see us as somebody taking their lunch you know we could theoretically add to our values yeah right exactly
2: yeah right no i i think that yeah i think that absolutely makes sense when you're kind of early when you're early in a space which obviously has huge potential um Yeah, my last company, we made 3D printers for the the dental industry and people would always ask us who our biggest competitors were. And I could say like there are other 3D printers who are competing with, but those aren't our real competitors. Our real competitors are dental mills, our dental labs, our people are just traditional dentistry. Like we're trying to get dentists who use an old piece of technology to migrate to a new piece of technology. We're not competing with the other new pieces of technology. All of us win when market awareness goes up.
0: Exactly. So we're competing with probably like uh, a lot of these Web two social protocols, like you know Instagram, Reddit, Patreon, Gumroad. Yeah,
1: got it. Yeah, I remember reading a statistic which is like in America, less than five percent of businesses fail because of competition. They fail for other reasons. So yeah. it's like rarely competition that affects their success. I, I think one sort of yeah, nitpicky thing I wanted to bring up, something I, f- I found really interesting is the actual design on your website for CoinVice. You guys have designed it as a feed. So as soon as you go on the page, yeah. it's a, you can just scroll down and see what people have created, yeah. you know, how many t- tokens have been, social tokens have been airdropped or I guess been built. As far as like you deciding to design that was a very in- intentional choice. How did you guys decide that it should be a feed? You know, what was the thinking behind that?
0: I think the thinking behind that was like, we could either have a bunch of text and wait for people to click, okay, go to app, which is what a lot of these DeFi protocols do. Some don't, some do. Or we could just show the product and let the product do the talking. And one of the problems that we were trying to uh, figure out was that how do we show people like, it, it was never about the tools, like tell me what you can do with social tokens. And how do we show like what you can do with them instead of creating them? So we just wanted to show the utility of these tokens. And as soon as you go on the website, you can scroll through a list of bounties. You can scroll through a list of NFTs. And that's, that's like basically utility of what you can do with them today. So we wanted to show like, okay, let the product do the talking, instead of like putting text, instead of putting like random words and like uh, really like big ambitious, like, you know, like mission statements that don't really like mean anything. It's just let the product do the talking. So that was the idea.
1: So, General, yeah, really appreciate you joining us. We like to wrap up our episodes by asking this question, which is, what is your favorite piece of technology, either in recent memory or of all time?
0: I think what, I, so what I'm what i really excited about today that I, I don't see a lot of people talking about outside of crypto is Kama. I, I really like what they're doing with self-driving cars. It, it's basically like, if, even if you have a Toyota, you can like plug in Kama. Into your car and that's going to make it self-driving which is just insane and i think they have probably one of the most strongest like neural net- neural networks out there as just a developer i like to read a lot more into it so i'm really excited about like where this is going for like self-driving cars because if we can fix self-driving cars i think that's the closest to what we can get to like a really strong AI model when I mean, you try to solve that problem you're really solving like a human problem where you're working like figuring out, you know, the physics of like how we perceive distance, how we perceive speed, how we react to that, and if we can fix that problem, we're getting really close to how humans work and creating like a strong AI model. So I'd really recommend like if people don't know what that is, like look into Comma AI. That's really cool.
2: C-O-M-M-A, C-O-M-M-A dot oh, AI. AI. No, they're they're actually super cool, and the guy behind it, the founder, is this guy named George uh, George Hots, and he's like one of the Best programmers to ever live, in my opinion. Like when he was like, when he was like 14 years old, he jailbroke. He was the first one to jailbreak the first iPhone. Right. Then he was like, that's when he was like, he was a teenager. He was in high school, and then he did a bunch of other crazy stuff. He was one of the first people to hack the PlayStation. He, yeah, he just built a bunch of wild stuff, and you can go on his Twitch. And he has these sessions where he'll just code for 12 hours straight. He'll just be, like, banging on his keyboard. He'll, like, like when you see those Hollywood movies of, like, people hacking and you're, like, that's not how hacking works. That's how he codes. It's, like, the most impressive thing. So I'd recommend that check out Comma.ai and also check out George Hawks' coding streams. Like, they're really, really cool.
1: Wait, is there background um, music or anything or is it just him in a dark room?
2: It's, usually, it's pretty well lit, but... Yeah, essentially just him just banging away at his keyboard and explaining what he's doing. He's like, he'll say things like, oh, you know, so today we're just going to build, we're going to build a basic self-driving system from scratch and he'll just code it up over like 10 hours. And you'll see him like literally go from like, okay, Python 3 is a real pain. Let's, how do I do this basic syntax to actually building it out over the course of 10 hours? It's like really, really amazing stuff.
1: Talk about long (laughs) form.
2: yeah yeah it's good content it's good content i'll say that all right well thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks this guys been very informative it's been super cool thank you thank you jenna yeah. it was amazing thanks guys that's our episode for this week thank you so much for listening make sure to subscribe to us and rate us on apple Podcasts. we would really appreciate the support you can also follow me on twitter at fz from cupertino and visant at next Vasant. see you guys next week